kiddos, follow that lady right there. Thanks, Sunny, for taking them. <laughs> and the rest of you, uh, open up your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be back in Matthew 13. We're getting close to finishing this long chapter. <clears throat> and uh, hey, just a couple things to highlight. Um, Kathy, or Kathy, Kathleen, mentioned we're going to Rancho Sordo Mudo. I, I mentioned that in the uh, All Church email with more details in there. But I can't emphasize how, how uh, great this trip is. It's not a long trip. We leave Friday morning at 6. We're there by lunchtime, and we just have a great time of ministry. It's a, it's a, a, a ministry to the deaf and mute of Mexico. And the deaf and mute around the world is what many missiologists call the largest unreached people group in the world. Uh, Mexico just got their own sign language within this last decade, and this is a great ministry uh, to help the kids of Mexico, who so many of them, when they come to the orphanage, uh, it's called an orphanage, but they, some of them have families, but they, they didn't even know what their name was. And some of them are like 12, 13. They didn't know that the kids in that house were brothers and sisters. They didn't know their parents' names. Language does so much. And so this is an amazing ministry because they, can, they come there not just to, you know, get language and communication, but they also get trained in, in uh, skills for living. They, they help them get jobs. They train uh, them to get jobs and start working in the local community, and um, it's just amazing to see. Um, the ministry is growing. Uh, they started, they've started two separate ministries, one in Guatemala, one in a diff different part of Mexico, but they're starting a new one in Ensenada, which is about 20 miles away from Rancho Sordomudo, and so we'll be going with the Grobsteins in the future to help kind of keep launching their next ministry, but it's an amazing ministry. Um, if you can't go, we're, we leave Friday morning, we're back by Sunday late in the evening. The next day is President's Day, so you, most people have that off, so you can recover a little bit. Um, but if you can't go, that's great. But there is a, a list of needs. Uh, it is, it's a ministry. Um, they, it's not funded by the government, so you know, anything we can bring is a blessing. It's on the back. I'll, I'll, it's underneath, there's a mug up there. If you're a visitor, you get a free mug. That's our visitor gift. And underneath there is a list of needs. And we take stuff down with us to try to be a blessing in, in just small ways. But it's a, you know, if, you, if you've even thought about going, let me tell you, you should go. All right. The Shears are coming this year. Uh, Sonny's already gone. But, the, you know, they're bringing their kids with them. Yeah, the Grassos are going. And we're kind of going together with Cal Luce. So there'll be a big group of us this time. Um, so it's, it's a great place. And I can't emphasize it enough. If you're even thinking about going, you should go. Um, next week, we have a full... Uh, Sunday. I can't wait. Um, it's going to be fun to be here. Um, uh, next week, we have the Teen Challenge Women's Choir uh, with us. Yeah, so they're here next week. So we, we need to bring extra food. So, you know, see Sue and Sylvia afterwards. I probably forgot to tell you two this. <laughs> lots of extra stuff. We're not having lunch with them, but there's a big group of them. So we like to make sure they have snacks to send them home with. Um, and we like eating too. And, uh, but then we also have another treat that I'm real excited for. Um, I, I'm making up signs to hold up in the back, but uh, Tyler is going to be preaching next week, Tyler Glennon. So, yeah, <laughs> Tyler, I've been threatening to do stuff, but I won't, I won't. Now, we're, we're looking forward to it. It'll be a real blessing. We're continuing, he's finishing up Matthew for us, uh, Matthew 13. Not Matthew, the whole thing. <laughs> Read your Bibles. Um, so that's next week. Uh, next Sunday, and then after church, <laughs> it's, a full, it's a full Sunday next week, uh, we have the Super Bowl party, already been mentioned, but let me emphasize this. This is a great place to bring a friend if they're, they, don't, they don't know Christians or whatever, they think we're really weird, well, we kind of are, but a great ch chance for them to rub shoulder, uh, shoulders with us, and you know, just a fun time where we're watching football, there's not any message, uh, unless you're rooting for the other team that I'm not rooting for, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, a good time of food and hanging out. We get to harass Bob and, and be nice to Callie. And yeah, so it'll be fun. So please keep that. If there's a friend that you've been trying to take next steps with, you know, maybe getting them to be comfortable around Christians, just continue your friendship. This would be a great thing to bring them to. All right. So there you go. There's a list of things I just wanted to highlight a little bit more about. So, hey, let's uh, get into the word and let me get my notes out here. We're going to be in Matthew 13, uh, starting in verse 24. <clears throat> and he's continuing with his teaching on the parables, all right? 
And like I always do, I need to pray after talking to kind of get my thoughts focused. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, we, living 2,000 years after your time, Lord Jesus, we have your word, your living word, your your, uh, life-transforming word in our hands so that we can uh, read and we can learn and we can uh, be challenged and encouraged. And so, Lord, I pray as we open your word now that uh, we would come with hearts uh, full of praise, like we've already been doing, but hearts that, that want to be changed. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be a time of, of learning data, of uh, uh, learning interesting stories, but God, that we would want to meet with you, the living God, through your word. And Spirit, use your word to perform heart surgery on us, change our thinking, renew our minds, and out of that may, may our lives be uh, changing and growing to be more like you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, as we open it now, we pray for your blessing. Change us. That's what we want, Lord, in your name. Amen. So, uh, I, like I mentioned last week, we were missing some people uh, because of all the rain and stuff. Uh, at our life group, I, I kind of had to run over. Uh, run over. <laughs> no, I didn't have to run over anything. I had to kind of re- go over what we talked about last week to remind ourselves what's happening in Matthew. See, there's a transition that's happened in the, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12. Up through chapter 4, Jesus is presented as the king with all the credentials of the Messiah. He has everything that the Messiah is supposed to have. Chapters 5 through 7, he gives his teaching on what his kingdom is about, right? It's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? So we have all this teaching, and the crowds were amazed. He has the, the king is showing he can handle Torah. We know from John that he is the living Torah, the living Word of God, but he, had to, he showed that this Messiah wasn't just a powerful, mighty ruler who fulfilled the credentials. One of the main credentials is could he handle God's Word, and that's what he did. He expounded it to the people in the Sermon on the Mount. Then chapters 8 and 9 are all about his mighty works, his power, his authority, his miracles. Remember, he never did miracles just to do them. Why did he do miracles? I'm hard of hearing. To do what? Display you. It's to prove. This, I am the King Messiah, here's my authority. But it's way more than they thought the Messiah was going to have. Because the popular opinion of the Messiah was that what kind of ruler was he going to be? A political ruler. Kick out the Romans, establish the kingdom of Israel, we're good. But he's way more than that. He's showing that he has power over every realm disease. He could heal from a distance, right? He, he touches the unclean, the lepers. He touches them. If you were a, a, a Jew of the time, you would run away from the unclean. He goes and touches them. He doesn't become unclean. They become clean. In that culture, it's very big, okay? Cleanliness, clean, all right? He, he's, he casts out demons. I mean, this just rocked their world, Chapters 10 and 11, he's talking some more, but in 12, we have a key turning point. He heals the demoniac. What happens there? What is the response of the Pharisees who are there? You did it by what? By the power of Satan. They're calling him satanic. And that's where he said, time out. You can say things about me, but when the Holy Spirit's moving and working and to call it Satan's work, what is that called? Blasphemy, and that's the unforgivable sin, to reject the work of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. And that he pronounced judgment on them. But here's the deal. He had been pronouncing judgment in chapters 10 and 11 because there was, in the crowds following, that included several types of people. One were the faithful. He didn't pronounce judgment on them. But then there was the apathetic. They're there because, oh, he's a powerful guy. Maybe he's going to bring this kingdom you know, of Israel, so we're powerful again. That's, that'd be kind of cool. And boy, those miracles are really cool. And hey, he feeds me once in a while. All right. They're apathetic to who he was. They wouldn't follow him like he called them to. Then there was the outright defiant. You're not the guy. And, among, and the worst of those were the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who not only defied him, they called him satanic. So what's happened now in chapter 12 is a transition in the Gospel of Matthew. And from this point forward, he starts teaching in what kind of 
parables. We talked about that last week. Parables are great stories using the common, what they were the natural, the things they knew to explain the uncommon, the spiritual, the things they didn't know. All right? So that's what that was a teaching tool he used, but when he quoted Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10, he did this down in, in what we preached last week, I think it's verse 11. When he quoted that passage, that's an important passage to know because in Isaiah 6, okay, that's where Isaiah, it's his call to ministry. That's where he is called out by God and he's telling, that's where Isaiah says, here's what happened when I was called out to be a prophet. And he sees the Lord, you know, high and lifted up. And, the, you know, he's like, whoa, I'm, I'm a sinful man. And then God, you know, symbolically cleanses him, say. And then he says this after this scene. He goes, who, I have this work to do. Who will go for me to do it? And that's where Isaiah says, here am I, send me. The famous passage. But then right after that, in verses 9 and 10, God tells Isaiah, hey, by the way, <laughs> your preaching, they won't understand it. You'll preach clearly, but they're not going to understand it because here's the point. It was a, his preaching was to be a sign of judgment on Israel for their hard-heartedness towards God. God had had it. Your preaching is going to be one of condemnation. Guys, we have to understand there is a point where God draws the line in the sand, right? And that is what's going on in these parables. He's the undeserving Jews had rejected the king and therefore were going to be rejected by the king and he was going to withhold his kingdom forever? Forever? No. Okay, that's, but that's what the parables start explaining what's going to happen to this kingdom. Because remember, God is the king. Whether we on earth accept it or not, he has always been the king, always will be the king. There's the heavenly universal rule of God. But on earth, he decided to set his rule up through representatives. Who are the first representatives? Adam and Eve. Genesis says, hey, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and have dominion. That's king language. And when they sinned by rebelling against God and listening to Satan, guess what happened there? They gave over their rule to Satan. That's, what it's, that's, what, that's the picture because what is he called now? The God of this age. The prince of the power of the air. Okay, and that's what, and then God started the plan for bringing back his rule through his intermediaries, okay? So there's the heavenly universal reign of God, but on earth there's the kingdom of God that's going to come amongst men. Through Israel, I'm going to jump over a lot of it now, but through Israel, they were supposed to be, here's what the kingdom of God looks like amongst men so the nations would see what kind of God he is and be drawn to worship God at the temple. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And when they did not fulfill their purpose, was God's program all done? Well, no. That's where Jesus came. He is the fulfillment of Israel. Doesn't replace God's plan for Israel in the future, but He is the one. And so here's the king offering his reign, the messianic kingdom, and they've rejected him. Jesus' parables are now explaining what this kingdom is going to look like in this in-between time. Because he is going to bring his kingdom. Like you all said, yeah, no, his kingdom's not forever. It's going to be here, just not now. Okay? This time is where God is bringing in a certain group of people into his kingdom where they didn't have to be Jews. Who are they? The times of the Gentiles, Romans chapter 11. And that at some point, the, the Gentiles will, that times of the Gentiles will be complete, and that's where... He says, I'm going to return, and it says, all Israel will be saved. This is Romans eleven twenty six, 26. Because they'll see the king, like Zechariah 14 says, he'll come down on the Mount of Olives, they'll see him, and the Jews will repent, and they'll say, that's the one we crucified, we blew it. They'll repent, and it says at that point, all who repent, who are Jews seeing that, they'll be saved. God in his elective love will, is going to do that through Israel. Then he's going to set up his kingdom, reign for a thousand years, Revelation 20, He'll have a physical reign fulfilling all the promises, the literal promises to Israel on earth, have a kingdom, but there will still be people who choose not to follow the king, even though he's right there. 
And so, so someone asked me once, well, how can that be? He'll be right there. I said, but wait a second. What did our first parents do it, walking in the garden with God himself with no sin in the picture yet? What did they do? They rebelled. They still chose. Man is really good. You all, not me, yeah, me too. We're all really good at defying God, rebelling against God, and sinning. We need God to step in. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Right? So, one day, there'll be an end to his kingdom where Satan will be unleashed one more time. There'll be a final battle, and then eternity starts. Okay? So, that's all to say. That's to help us understand why he's going through these parables. Why is Satan talking about this kingdom with wheat and tares together? What, what's, well, it's because he's, he's, judgment has happened to undeserving Jews. And there's a switch now in how he teaches. To the disciples, he, he makes it clear. To the crowds, he speaks in parables to keep it concealed. That's what's going on here, you guys. Because if you read in, uh, Isaiah, in, in Matthew 13, it says, in our passage, it says, hey, to whom to, you have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, and it'll be yours in abundance, but to them, what they have been given will be taken away. That's, that's, that's hard for us to understand because so many times we only hear the, what's called the softer, warm, fuzzy parts of Jesus if you look at our culture, American Christianity in general. But we have to let the Scripture speak. Jesus warned often, listen, ponder, and respond in repentance and obedience. And that's what we're called to do. As we hear these parables, we're always supposed to use it. Where am I in this? Ask yourself that, Okay. So let's start reading. Let's just get into it. And, and some of this is so, it's, it's amazing. It's so self-explanatory. It doesn't need a lot of preaching because Jesus explains this parable point by point for us. So we saw in, in Romans, or in Romans, Matthew 12, 46 through 50, which Sam preached a few weeks. So the end of 12 is where Jesus starts saying what the real family looks like, real kingdom family. And what is it? You're born a Jew. Are you in? No, that's the whole point. That's what was shocking. He says, no, it's not biology, it's spirituality. I know it's not a word. It's, it's your status before God. And what does the status look like? Those who do the will of my Father. Okay? And that's in uh, verses, uh, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Again, he's not talking about how you get saved. It's evidence of salvation, evidence of being in the kingdom. And now in, in chapter 13, we're calling what I call, and again, this is just me being me, but real kingdom fruit, right? The wheat, it's a lot of agricultural. Real kingdom fruit, but there's also real kingdom fakes. They look like they're in, but they're not. And there's real kingdom future. What's going to happen in the future? It's talking a lot about the harvest, okay? Just keep that in mind. So here we go. The first part, the parable of the wheat and weeds, verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came, or came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then, you, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Pretty simple analogy or a simple parable, you kind of get the flow of the story, okay? So what he's doing here is he's continuing to compare the kingdom of heaven to something they understand, all right? And, and here's, the, uh, here's one thing about, about parables. In parables, we have a bunch in a row, don't import one parable and its meaning into the next one, unless Jesus does that. You guys have to understand, in the history of Christianity, these parables have been absolutely brutalized. Usually a parable has one or two points unless Jesus gives it more and he says so 
just, you know, very succinctly. But here's the deal. There's some teachers who actually had meaning upon meaning upon meaning and application all the way down the road. And it's, that's missing the point of a parable. He's trying to give a, 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 an analogy, something to show, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like that, you're, that you can understand. But it's usually one or two points, okay? The elements of the story, real quick, because he's going to explain this whole parable in verse 36, and he's going to point, point, and we'll get to his explanation in just a second, all right? But here, notice a few things about this. First of all, he's, he's not a, a small farmer with an acre of land. How do I know that in this parable? Yeah, he's got, his, he's got servants, all right? So we're, he's a large landholder with servants, all right? Um, also, too, uh, if you notice, it's bioterrorism. Think about that. You know, he's, someone's, he, he plants, uh, uh, you know, his, his, the good seed, and then he, an enemy comes in and tries to put in weeds. And what do we know about weeds? They can choke out and take over, right? So bioterror, he wants to destroy the crop. That's the point. I mean, what you see going on, this is bioterrorism. thought that'd be fun to say. And notice that there's, there's the desire on the part of this owner, the farmer, um, that not one of his wheat be harmed, okay? He said, the, the, angels, the reaper said, hey, should we go take care of it now? And he says, no, lest in reaping, trying to get the weeds out, you harm some of the wheat. Just notice that he wants to protect his crop. And he's wanting, he, he wants it to wait. There's a time of waiting where they coexist, all right? And by the way, where it says weed, that actually is, it's a darnel is the type of weed it is and that, that they're being referred to. And it's a weed that looks very much like wheat, but when it grows up, it has seeds that are poisonous, this specific type of, of uh, weed being mentioned here. Um, and at the harvest, notice at the harvest, the useless weeds are what? They're gathered up, and then what? Burned, okay? All right, just keep that in mind. Reminder that this is to explain what his kingdom, the one he's been proclaiming, it's, it's, there, it's, it's explaining the kingdom, okay? Just keep reminding yourself of that. And, and here's what we need to see, that it doesn't matter if the weeds are sown, okay? Because the enemy wants weeds to overtake, but here's the deal. There is going to be a harvest. Think about that. The enemy's trying to confuse or take over the harvest, by sowing in weeds, but there's going to be a harvest and there is going to be wheat that will grow up and will be gathered as well as the weeds gathered up and, and harvested in, in a bad way, okay? Just keep that in mind, all right? So, so that's kind of where that ends, all right? We've got the, the real fruit, kingdom fruit, and we've got kingdom fake fruit, okay? Just, and there's a kingdom future where the harvest happens. Now let's go into, uh, we'll go into, he does a couple other parables here and then, and then, We'll get back to the explanation that he gives us of this first parable. All right, so now we're at uh, verse 31, and we have the parable of the mustard seed, and then verse 33 is the parable of the uh, leaven or the yeast. So he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Bless you. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All right? So first of all, parable of the mustard seed. A mustard seed, it's a small seed. It's not literally the smallest of all seeds, but it is the smallest of the ones that a farmer would plant to harvest. Okay? And uh, mustard plants, they can grow up to 10 feet, and there is one, one type that can grow up to 25 feet. The one probably type right here is the one that can grow to 10 to 17 feet. It's a big plant. It becomes so big, it's, it looks like a tree that birds could actually nest in. Now, they couldn't keep nesting in because the mustard, seed, the mustard plant would be harvested and die and all that. Nothing is said about the field or about the birds. Why do I say that? Because last week's parable had birds in it, but that, that bird had a specific meaning. If you remember last week's parable, what was the bird in last week's parable? It, I'm sorry? They ate the seeds, but he told us what the bird was in his explanation. It was Satan. 
That's why I want us to be clear. When we, when we read Scripture, guys, again, I always go into this when, I, when there's a point here. My job is not just to tell you what, to, what this means, but you need to be understanding how to read Scripture for yourself. One, because you've got to be checking me, make sure I'm on track. But you've got the Holy Spirit inside you if you're a Christian. The Bible says that. He's your teacher. But when we read Scripture, you need to be learning how to understand what's called different genres of literature. The Bible is not just one type of genre. There's narrative saying, just describing the flow of the story of what happened, okay? Then there's poetry. You guys know where poetry is, right? Where's poetry? Psalms. It's all over the scripture, a lot of poetry. This particular genre is called parable, okay? Jesus using a teaching tool, and it has its own rules of interpretation, okay? And that's one of the rules is don't take a, a parable and, and an element in it, and because the last one, the bird was Satan. But in this one, the, nothing's said about birds. It's just a, to make a point about how big the plant is. Okay? Is that all right? Yeah, just keep that in mind. As you read Scripture, you have to read it, just like when you're reading a newspaper. An editorial column is a little bit different than the sports page. Right? I mean, well, actually, nowadays, it's not that much different. Okay, I'm sorry. I won't, I won't go there. All right, so first of all, I mean, just notice that, okay? And I don't want to talk about the meaning of this except to notice that a small seed becomes a huge plant. That's the main point, all right? The next parable, the parable of the leaven and yeast, it, it's, again, okay, I'm not a cook, but I've heard that leaven or yeast makes the, the bread, the dough rise and become fluffy, and that's what we eat, right? It becomes bread that we bake, all right? All right, that's, that's all I know. <laughs> that's about it, <laughs> But when he said three measures, that's actually the word is satan, S-A-T-O-N. A measure is about 16 pounds of flour. So he was, he was describing a woman taking and, and putting a little bit of yeast, a pinch of yeast, in, in 48 pounds of flour, and then, you know, massaging the dough, whatever you call it, kneading the dough, there we go. <laughs> Get off my back, I'm not a cook. <laughs> but the point is, is it, it spreads out, it, it infects, this little pinch of yeast infects the whole thing, and then it feeds over 100 people. That's what that much uh, flour would do. The main point of these two is small, small beginning, yet amazing growth, okay? And that's the point of the picture of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is starting small because he is not, first of all, he's in Israel, which is a small, oppressed country, but even there, he is being rejected by the people who should have accepted him. And therefore, now the, it's like the kingdom, this kingdom he's bringing, he's talking about, has even more opposition. It's like, how in the heck is it going to work out? And that's what he's trying to say. My kingdom can't be stopped. Small beginning, huge growth can't be stopped. All right? Just keep that in mind. Huge, overwhelming kingdom. Verse 34 and 35. Another explanation of parables pops in here. Parables as prophetic fulfillment as revelation from God. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. The crowds only received parables from this point forward. Okay? And again, we'd, like we talked about last week, it was a form of judgment, of, a form of, of concealing truth, revealing it to those who were open to the king, but concealing it from others. And parables were meant to explain a rabbi's point by illustrating it. However, if the point were not stated, the parable would amount to more, no more than a story. Rabbis had more secretive teachings that they taught only their closest disciples, only what they could handle, and reserved these explanations for private instruction. The meaning of Jesus' parables then would be understood only by those who chose to become insiders. Okay? So Rabbi Jesus, because they did, they, many called him rabbi. Even if they weren't followers, they understood he was a teacher and he had disciples. Rabbi Jesus is taking his followers aside to reveal the meaning while the, clouds, while the, clouds, while the crowds remained in the dark. Okay? That's, that's, the, that's the scene that's happening here. 
Jesus deliberately adopted the parabolic method of teaching at a particular stage in his ministry for the purpose of withholding further truth about himself and the kingdom of heaven from the crowds who had proved themselves to be deaf to his claims and irresponsive to his demands. In one sense, and I've mentioned this before, is that he is actually, it's also a form of mercy because the more that someone knows, the more they are held responsible by God. So it was a form of mercy in one sense too. Something to consider here. So it's, it's one sense, it's, it's crowds are only get per, the parables, but also too, it's he's fulfilling prophecies, what he said. And this is actually a, a quote from Asaph out of Psalm 78, uh, verse 2. And in Psalm 78, we have Asaph saying, hey, I'm going to explain to you all, the, the people of Israel at that time, to show, to connect dots for you, to see why we're under judgment by God. And so he connects dots through Israel's history to kind of reveal why they were going through what they were going through. See, here's the deal. Asaph, we're not sure right when he was towards the end of the kingdom era of Israel, so maybe somewhere between the 6th and 700s. And, and the Israelites had this promise by God that you're my kingdom, okay? You're, we're the chosen people, and, and we've got this king, David, and, and you said he'd have a forever kingdom, and yet we're watching our nation fall apart, and we're, we've lost territory, and I think at this point, Israel, the northern kingdom, had already been wiped out by the Assyrians. And they're wondering what's going on. And Asaph says, well, I have to collect, connect some dots for us. He, he uses a parable, parabolic teachings. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's connecting the dots for people. He's connecting the dots and revealing even new information in the midst of it. Some truth is concealed, but at the same time, some previously unknown truth is being revealed to the multitudes. He was using his comparisons to open their eyes to bits and pieces from the Old Testament so as to correctly reveal and teach his kingdom, this kingdom he brought, okay? So it's, he's, he's connecting dots. He's using illustrations to help them understand what's going on. And here's the deal, to correct their preconception of what the kingdom was supposed to be like. Okay? In Matthew uh, 5 through 7, your righteousness to be in my kingdom has to do what? Surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. So two people are very shocked when they hear that in the Sermon on the Mount. First, the commoner. I have to be more righteous than these guys? They're perfect. Okay, and that's what Jesus, he exposes, no, they're not. They've got heart issues. That's what God cares about. But then the other people who'd be shocked are the scribes and Pharisees. What do you mean? Our righteousness isn't enough? He's like, no, it's not because you're self-righteous. You need God righteous. You need my righteousness. My kingdom is not what you've been expecting, folks. It's vastly different. All right, so that's, that's what's going on here. Then we jump to the explanation now of the the wheat and the weeds. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. Notice he's going to give an explanation now, but who's going to get it? Just his disciples, okay? And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay? So who is the sower? Jesus, son of man, that was his title, okay? The, uh, let's see, the field is the world. What was the field in the previous parable? Our hearts. The field here is not our hearts, okay? What is the field? The world, generally, okay? It's not the church, okay? Let's keep that in mind. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. It's not the message about the kingdom anymore. It's the sons of the kingdom, the people who are part of God of his kingdom, okay? That's the wheat. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Now, the weeds in the previous parable were the what? It was actually the thorns. Was the, it was the cares of the world, the seductiveness of the world, okay? See how they're different? Just keep that in mind so you stick to this parable. That's all, all right? So the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, the future, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. So far, pretty self-explanatory, right? Do you need me to explain any of the things that we've talked about here? Jesus has done it for us, right? This is an easy sermon. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. That last phrase, what does that mean? Listen up. And it's not just listen well, it means to ponder, to consider. Consider what? About the person sitting next to you? No, it's about an individual. Hey, pay attention here and consider. So let's just do that, all right? So his explanation is really enough for interpretation, but notice a few things. The field is the world. It's not our hearts. It's different this time. And there is a time between the sowing and the reaping, okay? So there's a coexistence of of the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one side by side. And in this, in this, notice that this is the desire, this expresses the desire because we know that it's God's desire, it's not His will, His decreed will, it's a different word in the Greek, that all men should be saved, that would have an opportunity and would respond. Okay, this comes out of uh, uh, 2 Timothy, I think it was Timothy, yeah, it's in, the, yeah, it's in there. Trust me on this one, right? But notice that, that this is a time for people to respond to King and, 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 and here's the deal. Let God be the judge of who's in his kingdom and who's not. When people ask me, well, do you think that person's saved? I'll say, well, based on their fruit, I don't know. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. But here's the deal. I'm so thankful that God is the final judge because he knows better than me, right? But within the church, are we supposed to judge each other? The Bible says yes, not self-righteously, but for the point of serving the other if they're caught in sin, it says we're supposed to confront others. If someone is caught in habitual sin, we're supposed to confront them because they are destroying themselves and dishonoring the name of Christ. Okay? So that's, it's a, that's, a, that's a different thing. And I've said to somebody before, I don't know if you're saved. I'm not God, but I'll tell you the fruit you've displayed consistently for this whole time I've known you has been, wow, you, you're characterized by sin. And there are certain passages, no adulterer, no idolater, no drunkard, no gossiper. I mean, some of these sins, that book, by, their, by the way, the Respectable Sins, it's a great book because we have, quote, unquote, respectable sins in the church that we let go by. Gossip is one of the great ones. Well, I mean great in a bad way, okay? But you know what I mean? We, we, oh, that person's a drunk. We got to go talk to them. But someone's a gossiper and we just let them be. Or they're causing, they're the ones who cause division, get people, they're the ones who are back. It's like, so I've told people that before, not because I'm better than them. Please hear that. And I told them that too. So I'm not better than you, but here's what you're asking me and we're talking about this. So I don't see, I don't see signs of life. You guys, parables for the Christian in the church is a great way to do is there a sign of life? <laughs> Boy, I'm, I'm slipping slowly, or maybe quickly, who knows. But the point is, is this, these parables for the Christian really can serve for you and me as, as, a health, as a heart check, okay? Is there signs of life? What fruit is being shown in your life, okay? You okay with this so far? Get him? Okay. So uh, harvest. Okay, when the, when the angels go to clean out the kingdom, the sons of the evil one, the weeds, are grouped, in all, are grouped in this category. All causes of sin are cleaned out and all lawbreakers. What does he mean by lawbreaker? Oh. They're, they're going against God's ways, right? Because in Matthew 7, remember he said that? End of Matthew 7... Verses 21 through 23, before he talks about the, the, you know, wise man builds its house upon him. Just before that, he says something pretty intense. Remember, I spent time and it's hard news. He says, many will come to me that day in the day of judgment saying, Lord, Lord. That meant, remember in the Jewish mind, think that implied intimacy. 
You're not just the Lord, but we're Lord, Lord. We're, we're close friends here. Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. And he'll say what to them? Depart from me, all you who practice lawlessness. Now, does that mean you have to be a Pharisee who totally followed the law? No, he had just got done condemning the Pharisee for their external obedience. What does Jesus want? Internal obedience that flows from the heart. Does keeping the law save you? No. But what is that a sign of? Fruit of salvation. James, you say you have words or you have faith by your words. I'll show you by my by my works, my life. Again, it proves that you have been saved already, okay? So if there is no fruit, you can ask the question, no root, or yeah, no saved root. You guys get that? Do you see what's going on here? So he says that the sons of the evil, they're lawbreakers. They have shown in their life that they don't follow Jesus' way. Does Jesus have what's called the law of Christ? Galatians 6, 3, 6 2 says, when you bear one another's burdens and you, you help somebody who's been caught in sin, Galatians 6.1, and you help them get restored and walking again, it says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay? You guys get this? See how he's... But it's so important that we understand that there, 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 there's an aspect where if there's... You need to be looking for fruit in your life. This, that's what this challenges me to look at. Is there fruit in my life? And if there is, I want more. Good fruit, that is. <laughs> And 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, meaning a practice, they're habitual, makes a practice of sinning, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Pretty clear there. Notice too from this parable, hell is real. Jesus talked about hell a lot. Uh, that's, it's hard not to get past this. There's, it's not a barely mentioned part of the story or in all of his teaching. The consequences are painful and permanent, eternal judgment. And, and I've heard this grown up. Oh, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'll go to hell. I'll just be a big party with my friends. This ain't no party, folks. And, I, and I'm not even joking. I don't want to joke about this because it's that scary. It really is. Permanent and painful. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is you're in such pain you can't even open your mouth, although you're grinding your teeth. That's the picture. And Jesus used that, that image many times to describe hell. And the parable deals with the entire world, not just the church. However, based on some other parables and other pictures we have, in, in like in Matthew 7, like I said, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, we did all of these things in your name. Also, Acts 20, where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, the heads of the church there, he says, watch out for yourselves and for the flock, pay attention. And then he goes on to say, watch out for wolves that come amongst the sheep. He's talking about false teachers. If they're a teacher in the church, that means they've been there for a while and they've been trusted with teaching doctrine. We have to watch out. So within the church, we have to watch out too. Many will be cast out in the outer darkness because they were lawless, lawbreakers. They didn't have a faith that produced the fruit of obedience. Fiery furnace, where's that picture from? Daniel, right, good. It's right out of Daniel, okay? So we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refuse to bow to this huge 90-foot statue of gold that Nebuchadnezzar made of himself, and he called all of his leaders, and I don't, they say the whole nation was there. It wasn't because the empire was too big. But on this plain, this huge plain, hundreds of, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, maybe it's, it's uh, tons of people, all right? That's the Hebrew. They, he says, okay, when this music plays, you all bow down. Well, they all bowed down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did it one more time. Well, maybe they didn't hear me. They're just deaf like Chris. And, and they didn't do it again. So he was ticked. Nebuchadnezzar is ticked. And this is, oh, by the way, this is out of Daniel 3. That's the story. And he has that furnace really stoked up. He was so mad. He says, you guys are torched. So these three guys, they, and he says, hey, you have one more chance. He goes, hey, whether we live or die, we're not going to bow to you. We only, we only bow to the one God of heaven, the God of Israel. Right? So he says, okay, you're dust. So the soldiers take these three guys and cast them in to the fiery furnace. And check this out. The guys who cast them in, it says they died because it was so hot. It wasn't just some like little campfire. This was a hot flame 
Okay, I've guys, I did this when I was the youth pastor, but we went out to the beach and we got uh, Christmas trees. Has ever put Christmas trees on the bonfire? Oh, they're like explosive. I mean, that's when you hear about after Christmas, all these, it, it's explosive. And you had to back away. Like I was, one time we had, we tossed three on, we had to run this far away because the heat was so intense. These guys cast in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got torched, and the, but the three guys, they didn't die. The believers were untouched. Matter of fact, when Nebuchadnezzar looks in there, he sees three guys, and then a fourth guy looks like it was probably the pre-incarnate Jesus with them. And then they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. That's where Nebuchadnezzar repented and said, oh my goodness, this is the God. Isn't that cool? But, that's that, but that picture, though, unbelievers die, believers are saved. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, used to describe what he talked about. And then this quote from uh, where he ends up, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's up from Daniel 12. He's quoting Daniel again. And, and notice the context. If you look at Daniel chapter 12, it's talking about the end of days at that time, at the time of judgment, the end of time. It, the, the tribulation has come to end, the harvest and the judgment, those who are saved will be rewarded and will shine in the glory of their father and will reflect his glory. Moses, when he talked to God on Mount Sinai and he would meet with God in the tent of meeting, what would happen when he'd come back to the people? He was glowing. They said, put on a veil, you're way too bright. The glory, he was, they were, he was reflecting the glory of the Father. And it says that's the picture of what's going to happen at the end of the age. We will, we will revel in the glory of God and we will reflect His glory. We'll shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Man, isn't that awesome? That's what we have to look forward to. The kingdom of heaven can't be stopped. It's unstoppable. doesn't matter if the enemy is trying to choke out that kingdom. It can't happen. That's the picture here of what's, what's going on. It doesn't matter if there's fake weeds or people of the evil one. There's going to be a harvest of judgment and of reward. The enemy can't stop the kingdom. Disciples, you're hearing me talk about this in between kingdom. Those Pharisees, the religious leaders, cannot stop my kingdom, even though they call me satanic and reject me. At that harvest, the king and his reapers won't be confused as to those who are truly his. Right? He won't be confused. The harvest is going to happen. The kingdom can't be stopped. It can't be diluted nor destroyed by the presence of the sons of the evil one. But in the meantime, we exist in a world of sin and evil. Being a Christian, is it going to be easy? Of course not. Of course not. I have had an exchange with a friend of mine. He's a pastor. We went to seminary together. We're old friends. And he's talking about forgiveness and uh, just uh, talking about the principles of forgiveness. And I was just interacting with for fun. And, and then someone popped in. I don't know if it's part of his church or whatever. But really, we're getting upset at the principles of forgiveness and and uh, I haven't had a chance to respond to her, but my response to her is that the principles, God's ways, God's authority, authoritative teaching, those principles have to guide how we live in this world, even though it is painful. This, this lady was struggling with the pain of, of having to forgive terrible things done to her. And I'm, I, I agree with her. It's not easy. It's hard to forgive. But she's got to because the king has laid out his principles on what it means to forgive. And that's, that's just a, a, an example out of this is that this kingdom can't be stopped, but it's going to be hard. But that's okay. And, and by the way, Jesus is not the only sower. Who are the other sowers? I'm looking at them. If you're a Christian, you're a sower too. Because in the previous parable, we found out what are the seeds that are sown? The message of the kingdom. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We spread that. We sprinkle it everywhere. We don't know what kind of hearts there's going to be. I mean, sometimes the people who have the most receptive, oh, I love this. Uh, there's been no fruit. Never hear from them again. And sometimes the person who got the most angry at me later is the strongest follower. We don't know, right? So we just proclaim. We just proclaim because God is the one who prepares hearts. God is the one who has the seed that can be stopped. God is the one who causes the seed to grow. Okay? But here's the deal. 
how active are we, notice I'm doing we, how active are you, how active am I in sowing the seed? And it's not just living differently, folks. We have to live differently. That's, that's 1 Peter 3 or 2 Peter 3 verse 15. Be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. They've seen something different. But when they ask, you have to be able to give a verbal reason. We were talking about in our life group last, last week, last Thursday, in ours. And by the way, if you're not in a life group, we've got room in ours. All these life groups, once you're in them, get in one. There's just the funnest time. Yulame gives me a hard time about my teaching and stuff. It's terrible. <laughs> now we have so much fun. But here's the deal. Where was I going with this? Give it an account. There we go. We were talking about what does that mean? Does that mean you have to give a five-point sermon with every reference in Scripture? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Who said that? Oh, Kathleen. It means give your testimony about why you believe in Jesus, what He's done in your heart, why you recognize you needed Him. But here's the deal. If people walk away from your testimony knowing more about you and less about Jesus, or they don't even know what it means to get saved, then you haven't given the right testimony. The testimony is to testify about someone else, not just about you, okay? And that's the danger in America. My testimony, I used to, I'd walk away just going, my goodness, I really failed there. Because the more junk that happened in your life before, it's, oh, you've got a powerful testimony. I was talking to our life group, says, no, uh -uh, if I distract from Jesus, I have a terrible testimony. So here's the deal. Whenever you become a Christian, no matter who you are, you have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's a miracle. You, if you're a Christian, are a miracle. Okay? Doesn't, this doesn't mean go like this and, oh, I'm so great. That's not, not, not the point. The point is what God didn't, you have a testimony because Jesus gave you life where you were dead. You're under the wrath of God. Now you're a friend of God. You're a child of God, Okay? All right, I'm going off on this. I had another cool story, but I'll just leave this. But the, out of this, you guys, time for a little health check, right? Signs of life, all right? And if there is, praise God. But you know what? How are you doing as far as sowing? Let's get to sowing. Sow the seed of the kingdom. I know there's more points up there, but I got to close this up. So let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your patience. Because even after you, you chose Isaiah to be your preacher, your prophet, you still didn't bring final judgment on Israel for another 150 years. <laughs> You're so patient. Thank you for your long suffering towards us, your patience, your love, your loyal love, your covenant love, even when we're not loyal, when we break our covenant with you. So thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we do pray uh, that our church would be known as people who bear fruit, the fruit of love, of service, of kindness, of joy, Lord, of, of, of being people who proclaim your greatness, your salvation, your forgiveness, your majesty. So, Lord, I would pray that for all of us, that we would be uh, more intentional this week uh, to, to really recognize our, our role is to be spreaders of your kingdom, sowers. Yeah. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time, and we just pray that our, our closing time of worship would be... Uh, uh, coming from hearts that are responsive towards you, thankful and, and wanting to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.